a fact about me, I am a triplet. And so I have a brother and a sister. You too? That is amazing. We're, we're connected now. I love that. So yeah, so I have a triplet. I have a brother and a sister. And I guess maybe if you didn't know what that means, it means we're all born at the same time. And um, so uh, maybe, maybe I'm hoping everybody gets what that means. But, um, so I, I brought in a picture of us to share with you guys. And this was really humbling for me to show you what I look like as a baby. I'm that middle, like, golem-looking one. Um, but that, that is what happens when you have three babies squished into one woman's body for nine months, and we're all sharing the nutrients, and you get little creatures that come out. Uh, but we became a little bit more normal-ish anyways over time. And uh, so I, I had to show, like, that picture. I'm on the far right uh, of, of we, we became uh, normal babies. Um, and so as you can imagine, uh, growing up as a triplet, there were lots of opportunities for us to be compared to each other, whether that was uh, meeting developmental milestones or bringing home our report cards. We were regularly trying to find uh, a way to keep ourselves in the limelight and just different from each other. So my brother Garrison was the genius rule follower. I was always trying to like use smart words around him. And my sister was the caretaker and organizer extraordinaire. She still comes and organizes my pantry for me to this day. And of me, I was the social butterfly and um, the, the master arguer. I'm just going to say that my parents would probably use a different uh, word uh, for that, but I, I thought I was just, I was mastering my arguing skills. Uh, but the three of us were very different from each other. So if you were to make your way through our family's photo albums and our baby pictures, you would find very little, if any, pictures of us uh, wearing uh, matching clothes. And as someone who uh, hates to be cornered into conformity, I love that my mom and dad didn't do the whole like matchy, matchy thing. Um, and now if, if you're a mom that is like really into that, that, that's okay. I feel like the matching outfits have come a long way from when I was a kid. And so some of these matching outfits that you would see uh, when I was a kid is uh, like, uh, those, uh, those sisters look miserable, like dressing the same as each other. And then someone has not let these sisters, maybe twins, know that they can be their own separate people now, that they don't have to keep dressing the same. And so I think my parents just helped show up, my, my sister and I, like we, we don't have to keep dressing like like that. Um, and so but God bless them. I, I love that they are owning uh, their, their sisterhood. Uh, or you get the whole family involved, um, like these uh, families that loved, they got all into the matchy-matchy thing. And like this was a common thing when I was a kid to see pictures like this, like hanging over mantles. Is like, why? <laughs> Why? Why do that? Um, so anyway, I just was cracking up at these pictures this week of the whole matchy-matchy situation. So all that to say, shout out to my mom and dad who uh, taught us from the very beginning that different is beautiful. And that is uh, the value that we are going to be covering this morning. Different 
is beauty. We are in a series in our veins looking at the values that make TLC who we are. And this value was created because we believe that the church is stronger, better, and more beautiful because of our diversity. And in a polarized and divisive world where uniformity is often confused for unity, different isn't always perceived as beautiful, is it? I want to point that out again, that unity does not mean uniformity. Our goal can't be for all of us in this room to be the same. Instead, unity can only happen when two different things come together. And so it makes me think of like uh, when it comes to like cooking or like a favorite dish that uh, you like to eat. I know some of you will just do something like you'll just eat like a stalk of kale just like by itself. I, I don't understand that, but I, I like when you bring lots of flavors and ingredients together. And so my personal favorite flavor combination is a little bit of sweet, a little bit of spicy, and bring that together, and that is just the best flavor to me. And so the best dishes are when you bring different ingredients together. It's the best flavor combination. And this gives us a picture of unity, that we are better when we come together. So as we look at this value this morning, some of you may feel maybe a little bit uneasy or have some sense of tension when it comes to diversity. Or maybe you are like pumped about this value, like me, and you're like, man, this is why I picked TLC, it's because I love this value, I'm all about it, and so you're super excited about that. And I know that when it comes to diversity, there are all sorts of trigger words that come with diversity. And those trigger words can either excite you or frighten you. So I just want to acknowledge that both of those things may be happening in this room right now. So I want to express what I hope to do and what I simply cannot do uh, in this sermon. In the next 30 minutes that we have together, my hope and prayer is that God will stir in us a greater desire and intent to see this value embodied in new ways at TLC and in our personal lives outside of this church. But what I simply cannot do is be able to uh, name all the ways that this value could be expressed. And so for those of you who are, you know, have maybe specific people group in mind that you're hoping that I'll name or celebrate, uh, I, I feel the tension of that. Like, I want to just name them all. And, and yet, this value is just way too robust and expansive to be able to name them all. So uh, wherever you're at, uh, on the spectrum of hesitancy to hype about this value this morning, I would just love for you to consider what God may be calling us to as a church and you to be a part of and growing in this value. So let's pray together. God, help us to want what you want. Open our eyes to see all the ways the people around us bear your image. May you be glorified in my words, and may our hearts be stirred to act upon the things that you reveal to us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
So if you were to look up this description of this value on our website or something, you would see that uh, we believe that the more types, traditions, backgrounds, ethnicities, and abilities represent our community, the better we reflect the kingdom of God to others. We can't be as diverse as heaven, but we do hope and we want to desire to be intentional about seeking it. And I want to make it very clear because there are so many cultural trends and cultural, you know, just just hot button words that this value was not created to follow some type of cultural trend. This value is about our discipleship to Jesus. That is what this is, about, is what this is about. And we see all throughout God's word that God celebrates, he designed, diversity is his idea. And so where do we see this in God's word? From the beginning in Genesis to uh, with his creation and all the diversity that's represented then, all the way to the end of the Bible and Revelation, when all of the saints come before the throne, we see diversity named. We see that God's plan is to involve a diverse body of believers. God loves diversity. And so we should too, as his church, especially since we are actually going to be surrounded by it for all of eternity. We see this in Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. After this, I looked And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Heaven is fully diverse and fully unified. And Jesus' prayer is that we will get a glimpse of that even now, right here at TLC. Right before Jesus is arrested to be crucified, he's spending time praying for his disciples and then he's praying for his believers. And in John 17, he prays this prayer. Starting at verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Out of all the things that Jesus could pray for his followers as he is uh, preparing to go to the cross, he prayed for unity because he knew that diversity was already present. Diversity was not his end goal, though. Unity was. And not just for our benefit, but for the sake of the watching world. 
You guys, when we lean into this value as a church, we are bearing witness to the reconciling work of Jesus Christ. We are bearing witness that not only has Jesus made a way for us to be reconciled to God through the work on the cross, but he has made a way for us to be reconciled to each other despite our differences. You guys, that is so countercultural these days. I mean, we know what it's like out there, the amount of division, there's so much offense, and then there's defense, and then there's just, there's so much clashing that's happening. And yet, we, we, we see it in the headlines even. We saw the headlines this week about division and what it does and how it causes us to treat other people. But a diverse church is a physical representation to the world of the gospel's power in our lives. We have this unique and beautiful role as the church to put the gospel on display. Now, I think most of us would probably agree that this is all true and good, but it is easier said than done. I know it is for me. TLC is stronger with ethnic diversity. Sounds great on paper. TLC is better with different backgrounds and traditions. Sounds great on paper. TLC is more beautiful with different abilities represented. Sounds great on paper. But regardless of ethnicity, background, or tradition, we often find ourselves sticking around the places and people that are most like us. And I don't think that's necessarily like always wrong because there's just people that we click with more than others, and that's normal and natural. But where this becomes a problem is when we are unwilling to have our echo chambers questioned when we surround ourselves with people that are just like us, then we think that's the only way that things should be. But are we willing to admit where we've gotten it wrong sometimes? And we have, I have, many times. And I, I need to come face to face with that. Are we willing to admit where we have gotten things wrong when it comes to the people that look act and live differently than us? You guys, we've got to get past our niceties and get really honest about if we really agree with God on this, that different is beautiful. So how will we respond when a refugee family needs a ride to church all the way from across town, and we need to pick them up from week to week? How will we respond when a single mom needs childcare last minute on a Friday night after we've already had a long and exhausting week? How will we create connection and support for the incarcerated people that many of us are writing letters to through 70 times seven if they decide to come to TLC when they are released back into the community? 
How will we support foster families and foster children when they have faced such different things than we have and they're in a vulnerable place? Will we be safe for them? Will we believe that different is beautiful then? At TLC, we want to be a radically hospitable church. And that's something that I love about our church so much, is that it is just so hospitable and warm and inviting here. And we want every single person that walks through those doors to feel like they belong here and they can find home here. Because this is a picture of how God has been radically hospitable to us first by welcoming us into his family. And it wasn't anything that we did. It was out of his love. And so we get to do that for other people when they walk through these doors. But a true pursuit of that doesn't happen quickly or without effort. But healthy and worthwhile things rarely do. Torin talked about this last week with our value that healthy things grow. To grow something healthy that's full of life will require time and effort. A healthy church requires time. A diverse church requires effort. And a healthy and diverse church will require time and effort from us. So how can we put time and effort into embodying this value? Well, you're in luck because as the pastoral resident, I did my due diligence and created this beautiful alliteration with the three Ps. You're welcome so that it's all memorable for us of how we can embody this value. We need to get praying, get proximate, and get personal. This, uh, so first we need to get praying. That's where we need to start. And you guys, that should always be our starting point. We cannot do any of our values. And I, I love that about TLC, that we've, we've picked all these values that we, we truly cannot do apart from God. And this value will not happen naturally. It will only happen supernaturally. We need God's help with this. We need him to show us how to uh, respond uh, and, and to grow in our desire, our humility, our love, our empathy. We need to grow in our endurance, and we need to pray and lean into that because this isn't easy, and it will not happen without intentionality. So we need to pray. So I know the whole thoughts and prayers sentiment has been given a bad rap these days when it comes to social change. People don't want prayer. They're like, we want action. And you guys, I, I, I have to say that we, we must have misunderstood something because prayer is not passive. Prayer is action. Ephesians 6.12 says that our battle is not a physical one, but a spiritual one. So your prayers, guys, are coming against a spiritual reality that impacts a physical one. 
Our prayers should absolutely cause us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly by being a part of seeing uh, policies change or to be a part of a, a board meeting. But if we throw out prayer, we, the, the, we are throwing out all the power that we carry through the Holy Spirit to actually change things. Prayer is not passive. Prayer is action. We see an example of this with Martin Luther King Jr. and the Civil Rights Movement. As Dr. King fought for diversity to be celebrated with justice and equality, Louis Baldwin wrote in his book about MLK's prayer life. And he says that prayer was King's secret weapon in the civil rights movement. King would take personal prayer retreats and shut himself in a hotel room or pastor's study to pray, meditate, and plan his next sermon or civil rights activities. Prayer is what led and carried MLK through to fight for justice, unity, and reconciliation. If prayer could shift that level of division with its suppression, with its segregation, with its discrimination, imagine what prayer could do now amongst us today. Church, prayer must be our starting point, but it should also be our launching point. Next, after we've been praying, we need to get proximate. We see a powerful example of this in John 4, when Jesus meets up with a Samaritan woman at the well. John 4, starting at verse 4. Now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Dr. Burge gives us some more context about this passage. He says, This was not the usual way for a Jew to travel between Judea and Galilee. The route through Samaria was faster and easier, but they would go a different way it forced, because it would force the traveler to enter this region of mountains if they went through Samaria uh, that were inhabited by people with whom rivalry and strife had an ancient history. And so you'll see on this map that the blue route was the route they would typically take. And although it was more challenging and more difficult physically, they were willing to do that because they just didn't want it to be too hard, I would say, emotionally. They were willing to, uh, to make it harder that way, but Jesus, instead, he goes straight through Samaria and leans into the emotional tension. Jews typically avoided having to go through Samaria due to this tension between them and the Samaritans, but Jesus does what he often does. 
He goes someplace that doesn't make sense to most people, even though it's uncomfortable, in order to make someone feel truly seen, known, and loved. And that is our role as Christians too. We are meant to be people that go out of our way and lean into the emotional tension of things in order to truly see people so that we can help them feel known and loved. You guys, we aren't meant to play things safe. Like Jesus, we need to be willing to go to places that are uncomfortable. And this is gonna get Messy is going to, but that is what we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to lean into. We aren't supposed to stay comfortable. So Jesus met the Samaritan woman at a well. Where could you meet someone that is different than you? Maybe that means going to the grocery store on the the side of town that you avoid, You know the one, you know the certain Meyer Walmart that you would typically never want to step foot into. What would it look like to to go to that store instead? Or maybe it's going to a different restaurant with uh, different ethnic foods and that you can get to know and be around the people behind who's making this food and, and to celebrate and get to know their culture and who they are. Or maybe consider what are the the extracurriculars that your kids are a part of? Or what are some of the hobbies that you enjoy? And uh, do you only do that with people or around people that uh, look and act and, and live just like you? Are they just the same as you? Or maybe you don't even really need to go that far and go searching that far because there's already someone in mind that you know of that maybe it's been easier to avoid because you know they're a little different. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a classmate of yours. Imagine how things would change if we all did our part to get proximate with people that are different than us. So lastly, We've been praying and we've been getting proximate with people around us. Next, we have got to get personal. So Jesus, he went to Samaria not only to get proximate, but also to get personal with this Samaritan woman. He made space to get to know her story. So speaking of stories, uh, I have a story of a time where I completely got this wrong, honestly. Um, But I feel like some of our best lessons are learned through our mistakes. And so I thought I would share one of my own. So uh, I showed up as a freshman in college to Western Michigan University. Any other Broncos out there? Go Broncos! And um, so if if you guys probably know, but maybe not everyone knows that Western Michigan University uh, is also nicknamed Western. And um, so I showed up as a a pastor's kid to this campus. And so I had my Bible in one hand and I was like, I am going to be a light on this dark campus in the name of Jesus. And so I just had all these ambitions and goals. And um, another goal of mine was to... um, to go, not use the elevator. 
because I lived on the fourth floor of my dorm, and I decided that I was going to go up and down the stairs to class and to all my meals so I could keep eating ice cream because I'd heard about this thing, freshman 15, that I was wanting to avoid. And so I was like, you know, I'm always going to take the stairs uh, to uh, try to to get away with eating ice cream at every meal. And so uh, as I would uh, take the stairs, though, uh, there was a, a, a specific group of people that would hang out in the stairwell. And if you use your imagination, maybe you can imagine, like, what kind of people hang out in a stairwell. Um, but uh, that is where I met Selena. And uh, before I go uh, more into this story, I, I do want to just share that I got her permission to share the details of her story. And so uh, I would see Selena in the stairwell a lot, and she was uh, typically uh, hungover or high, and she was usually skipping class. And um, she, she even told me that she was put on academic probation because of how much class that she was missing. And... Um, so I would, you know, as I would walk by her, I would see her a lot in there. And so I was like, you know, I, I'll do like, you know, the nice Christian thing and just smile and be like, you know, hmm, hmm. just like, like that, that's a nice, that's, that's nice enough, right? Uh, but I, I would see her around campus and it was obvious uh, that uh, she was uh, often in a, a romantic relationship with a guy or with a girl, depending on the week. And so, uh, yeah, when I would see her, I, I would, you know, sometimes say just a little prayer for her, uh, but I would never get to know her. I never ta really talked to her to hear her story. So during my freshman year, I was also a part of a campus ministry called Inner Varsity, and um, when I returned back to school my freshman year, we were kicking off the year with this uh, big worship night. And uh, we, you know, we'd put the chalk all over the campus of like, you know, come to our worship night. It's, you know, at Canley Chapel. And um, I, I showed up to this worship night, and I had the shock of a lifetime when guess who I saw? Selena. Selena was at this thing, and I was like, what is happening here? Like, this does not make sense. And, and actually, I thought it might have been a mistake because there were, there's actually lots of stories in, in InterVarsity where people would show up because they would look at all the campus organizations and they thought InterVarsity was like a sports group. And so we actually like have stories of people who like got there and they're like, whoa, this is not a sports group, but I guess I'll check it out. And uh, people would end up staying and meeting Jesus. And so I was like, oh my gosh, Selena thinks this is a sports group. What am I going to do? This is going to be so embarrassing and so uncomfortable for her. And so I was like, I, I'm, I'm just going to go up to her and be like, hey, Selena, like, you, you know what this is, right? Like, do you know what we're about to do here? Because uh, I, I it seemed to me that, like, she was out of place. And so I came up to her, and uh, what was interesting is <laughs> she was just as shocked to see me as I was to see her, which was very confusing to me. And she was like, oh my gosh, Carly, hey. And she's like, is this your first time here too? And I was just like, oh no. It's not my first time. This is like my 50th time at this thing. And so I told her, I was like, actually, I've, I've been going here for a long time. I, I went here for our entire 
freshman year last year. And I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, oh, wow. Well, why didn't you ever invite me? Why didn't you ever invite me? I could have really used something like this. Oh, you guys, I felt so convicted. My heart was just like torn. That whole like, I'm coming with my Bible to be a light for Jesus. I was just like, oh my gosh. Like I have totally missed this opportunity. And so uh, it was awesome because Selena kept showing up to our worship services. She got involved in a Bible study. And you guys, she gave her life to Jesus. Like, she encountered Jesus, and her life was changed. She, when I reached out to her this week, this is what she shared with me. I honestly began to change overnight with a newfound love for Jesus and belief in him as my Lord and Savior. God cleansed me. He changed me. He renewed me and revealed his truth through his word. I began telling everyone I could about how Jesus had saved me. I was reading the Bible as much as I could, and I realized that nothing else could ever truly satisfy me. Without God, there would always be hopelessness and confusion. But being in God's will and his design is where I am truly home you guys, that gives me goosebumps, like just thinking about how God radically met her and touched her, this girl that seemed too different for me. This is actually a picture of Selena and her husband now. They met through InterVarsity. This is their three children, and they are missionaries together in the Dominican Republic. Won't God do it? Like, I'm just like, man, like God redeemed that situation that I avoided, but he did not avoid her. And so that is just what I, a heart posture that I want to see in our church is that God doesn't avoid them, and so neither should we. If I would have taken the time to listen and get personal, I would have learned that the person that I had deemed the drunk bisexual girl, I would have, I missed out that she is an image bearer an image bearer of God. And she was just looking for hope and looking for belonging. And she had actually wished that I would have invited her to our dorm Bible study. This experience has honestly just like, it, it wrecked me. It wrecked me and it has shaped me and it has caused me to be someone who wants to learn from people's stories. And I've, I've messed up lots of times still I haven't gotten this all right, but it, it, I've seen how much stories different from my own have deeply impacted and changed me when I've taken the time to listen and learn from them. It's made me ask the question, who did Jesus spend most of his time around? What kind of people did Jesus call to be his first disciples? You guys, it was the people that, can, that we would have considered to be too different, the outcasts. And so as I was preparing for this message, I just felt like the Spirit was putting this on my heart. 
that maybe you are in this room as someone that has often felt like you're too different. Like you've just often felt like you're just an outcast that doesn't fit in. And can I just say, and I mean this with every fiber of my being, that we are so glad that you are here. We are so glad that you are here. We want you to find a place of belonging and home here. And we want to learn from your stories, your perspective, and your experiences. So think about the people that you've invited around your table in the last six months. Do any of them have a different ethnicity than you, a different political affiliation, different denomination, different orientation or marital status, different socioeconomic status, different abilities or different ages? It's hard for us to care about people different than us when we don't know their stories. So let's go out and listen to someone's story, even this week. So to wrap things up, at TLC, we believe that our church is stronger, better, and more beautiful because of our diversity. We want to see more types, traditions, backgrounds, ethnicities, and abilities represented in our community because it reflects the kingdom of God to others. What's the next step you need to take to be a part of embodying this value? Is it starting off with a commitment to prayer, praying for God to give you his eyes, his heart for the people around you? Is it getting proximate with those that are different than you? Or maybe it's taking time to get personal and to hear someone's story. So I'm going to close this this morning by praying Galatians 3 over us. So let's pray. God, we are reminded today that we are all children of yours through faith, clothed in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. And there is neither conservative nor liberal, married nor single, black nor white, rich nor poor, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. God, I thank you that our differences and our distinctions, they aren't erased in Christ. Rather, they are actually equalized. I thank you for all the unique ways that we bear your image. We are made one in you because the ground is even at the foot of the cross. We center ourselves around you, God, and around your love. Send us out to be the ones that truly see, that truly know, and that truly love those around us the way that you do. It's in Jesus' powerful name that we pray. Amen.